Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. All right. Good to see you guys. We knew we were going to be a bit thin today with uh, for various reasons, but uh, that's okay. I'm not here for the next two, so uh, I wanted to um, at least get some of these things out of my uh, system, just chatting to you and... Um, you know, expressing the journey also to everybody who faithfully watches on uh, online. I uh, wanted to get this up for you as well, so um, hope you're blessed by it. Um, yeah, one of, one of the things that um, I was challenged with going out to Oz this time was to make sure that um, I still fulfill the role of kilt lifter. Because I think sometimes, you know, the weight of the journey and challenges and pressures can make you mellow um, and um, um, self-edit various things rather than just going for it. It was interesting um, up in Queensland at um, at Gary Max that um, the last time I'd been there I preached and, and one guy had gone straight up to Gary afterwards and stuck his finger in his chest and said, you must never have that guy here again. So anyway, I was there, and that guy's not in the church anymore, so, so I outlived him. Anyway, um, some of this is, is difficult in one sense, because we are definitely in a, um, a, a very clear transition. I, mean, I said something on Sunday night about, about churches occupying the same space, um, and therefore, in essence, being in competition with each other, which might not make a lot of sense to some of you, but but uh, from where I see things and what I what I understand behind the scenes, it's 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 a very evident thing, and um, uh, it's really clear to to me that we we have to go the journey, whatever the cost, and position ourselves in a different space. Um, otherwise, we're actually doing what others do, which is which just enter the the competition. I find the whole thing, and again, I'm just rambling a little bit before I start. Uh, I find the whole thing of, you know, people have a real burden to plant a church in X. You know, regardless of how many churches there are, I'm really not sure where that burden comes from. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure it comes from the Lord. I think some of it comes from uh, empirical thinking that says we've got to expand our little empire. Uh, but then when I watch people come in and do exactly the same, that other people are doing. I think, well, what, what is the point of that? Why not just give some resources to the people who are already doing that? And it all becomes a battle of what I call production values. Who's got the best coffee? Who has the most comfortable environment? Who's got the best music, the biggest screen, and all that stuff? And it, it just saddens me because that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And so, you know, if you wonder sometimes why, why some things we don't do... Uh, it's it's not by accident, it's by choice. Not saying that certain things are not good or right or appropriate, but not for us. 
uh, and why we are doing some things, that's the reason, because I feel we have to put ourselves in a space, and we, we don't really know all what that space is, but we know it bridges two worlds, and, uh, and so, you know, appreciate your support, appreciate you being here, and, uh, and yeah, we'll see how we go. Strange, strange title tonight um, that I wanted to put on what I have to say. I called it this, it might not matter right now, but it could. It might not matter right now, but it could. Uh, you'll see why as we, we just talk a little bit. Um, I read something, uh, I guess must be about a month or so ago. Um, it's a little quote by a guy called um, W.H. Auden. And this is what he said, Life is the destiny you are bound to refuse until you have consented to die. Life is the destiny you're, you're bound to refuse until you have consented to die. Now, I appreciate that's a bit, you know, I forget the word. What's the a bit cryptic? Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. It's a bit cryptic, but what it's really saying is that, that life is pressing in on us and we are destined to, to experience the fullness of life. But if we refuse to consent to die we very rarely actually can take hold of that destiny of life that's coming our way because it, re it requires a constant dying, just like, just like that process goes on in nature all the time uh, in, the, in the renewing of things. So, so I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about one of those things that links us and um, um, I, I think is an expression of some of the wisdom of Scripture, but we'll see, we'll see where we get with it. And that, that's this thing called quantum theory. And, uh, you know, unless you've had your head in the sand, you, you will have heard at least this phrase. Whether you understand it or not is another issue, but you will have heard about quantum physics and quantum theory and uh, subatomic particles are the kind of phrases you hear with all of this. And uh, it might seem that, well, why should we have any interest in that? And, well, if you don't want to, you, you know, you won't. But there is great insight into, into, I think, what life is about and the challenges of life and, and how things work by at least having a layman's understanding of some of these things. And, you know, I'm not a physicist, you know, that's not my background you know my background is more um, dismantling and putting back together um, so I am not giving you a physicist's you know lecture on this um, but I understand enough of how it fits in the different spheres of understanding even with theology uh, to be able at least to, to, to give us a cue in the right direction to see why this might be important for us to understand in our ongoing journey and the thing about quantum, quantum theory and quantum physics and quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics is the way that it all works together, the mechanization of it, um, is that it goes down to subatomic level. So you may also be aware that um, as we have increased in our technical ability as humanity, we have been able to see further that way <laughs> Uh, and also perceive further this way. So macro and micro, we've been able to go further in the big 
and and uh, smaller in the small. I do like just incidentally the um, something that Richard Rose says about a very simplistic understanding of the connection of Jesus and and Christ. And he says this. He says he says Jesus is the microscope and Christ is the telescope. So Jesus is the microscope that focuses in on the the detail of life. Christ is the telescope that takes us out of the detail of life to to focus on the transcendent reality that is bigger than life. And that's where the two actually work together. So so quantum mechanics takes us down to subatomic level, you know, smaller than smaller than small. It's, It's the realm of the unseen, not only to the natural eye, but much of it even to the ability of science at the moment to perceive. So a lot of it is theory. And it's really strange, but but if you go all the way back to Plato, um, they were making statements like, like, everything in life is just numbers. Now, I can't get my head around that. Mathematicians can. That everything as a, you know, why why is... is, Relativity, MC squared. Why is it? What? Why is it that? You know, I mean, I I can't get my head around some of these, but but people with the mind for that can break everything down to a series of numbers. Now, that's also interesting because when you look at things like binary code in computing, and realise it's actually just about a series of ones and zeros and that kind of stuff, and you think, well, how's that work? So, so the point in all this is that, that there is mystery within this, but the mystery has a purpose, and the, the purpose produces something. So, so at this subatomic level, what it basically tells us is that things are made of energy packets zooming around in minute probability clouds. Now, you might say, well, what's all that about? Well, it, it only makes sense to some of us if you contrast it as opposed to what? So, so if, if it's about um, things that are made of just energy pack- packets zooming around in minute probability clouds, instead of what? It's instead of little hardwired clockwork pieces. So the reason I think this is important is because, funnily enough, this, this is very much about how we think and how we see the world. We're either going to see the world like a hardwired clockwork piece as cogs that work and wheels that turn and that's how it works, are we going to see it as something much more random, uh, much more free, much, uh, much less controlled by laws in the way that we understand laws and rules how we understand rules? So I, I want to show you how actually... Even if you don't understand where these things come from, society has shaped itself on these things. And you might say, oh, I'm not really interested in learning. Well, that's fine, but your life is being shaped by the things that you're not interested in learning about, which is why sometimes you can't resolve what it is you want to resolve. Because so much of our, our way of seeing the world has been shaped by Newtonian science. Okay, so going back to 1600s, Sir Isaac Newton... You know, the story of the apple falling on his head and, and the theory of gravity, which he was a very clever man, very clever. Extremely influential, changed the whole direction of science and thinking. 
And um, of course, he, he, his great speciality, gravity, and then and he was also a mathematician, but of course, he was the whole thing of, you, knew, you know, your Newton's cradle with the balls. Every action creates an opposite and equal reaction. So he was very much into, into um, energy and the transference of energy, like with Newton's cradle, you know, the energy transfers through that ball, that ball, that ball, that ball, and then it comes out of that end because there's nothing to stop it, comes back. So, so he was very clever in all of this, but, but um, what Newton's scientific thing brought to us, and by, by his own words he declares this, that only matter is real... And everything can be explained in terms of purely material particles. So we got that from Newton. And our, our drift from mysticism and one might say mystical spirituality into a more rigid perception of the world was greatly influenced by Newton who said everything's like the cogs in a clock and like the hands of a clock. You wind it up and it all works like that. The cogs into mind, the, 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 the hands go around at a certain speed, you know, the gears in your car make it go forward. So everything was, was a result of, 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 of there's nothing beyond that. So only matter, only things, physical things that you can feel and see are real. Now, you, have to, you can go all the way back to Plato and Aristotle to see how people were wrestling with this question, but, uh, you know, we're not going to go there um, tonight. So, so he gave us this, this legacy that everything can be explained in terms of purely material particle and mechanical function. And... Um, so, that, that, so, so his idea is that the function of the world and the universe is like a clock, predictable on the basis of unchanging laws. Um, and we, we got stuck there, and I'll explain why as we go along. The, the consequence of that idea that it's like cogs and everything works and only that which is matter is real and um, it's all predictable and unchanging laws you would have to say the conclusion of that is that nothing new can happen. Because everything is in a fixed state. Nothing new can happen. Therefore, there can be no creativity. Nothing can be created because it's, all, it's already fixed and working and there and, and solid. And that therefore would lead us to this conclusion out of Newton's thinking that nature is a machine. And so we begin to live life in a way that is machine-like. Now, now, here's the other thing that might help you understand. This all tends to a purely materialistic view of the world. That everything is, that is real is material, and therefore only that which is material is important. And so therefore we have materialism. Do you understand? Materialism comes from this thinking. Now, you would have thought, no, materialism comes because people just want stuff. Well, that's partly true. And a part of that is because the church has been so influenced with this inventive thing called the fall that we would then say that's what happened to humanity. But science has played its part in that, particularly through Newton, 
that has made us materialistic, only that which is material matters. Therefore, we gather material because material is what makes us work. So hence the reason if I have more money, material, I'll be happy. If I have a better job and people respect me, I will be happy. If I have a bigger house, I will be happy. If I have kids, I will be happy. If I get married, I'll be happy. In other words, it all focuses towards the material understanding, which is materialism. Now, we've relegated materialism to, and we've lost it in another word, capitalism. And we've confused the two. When actually most of us, if in fact all of us, have grown with a materialistic understanding of the world, right? Does that make sense? So it also suggests that things are segregated and separated into precise laws. So law of gravity, law of lift, etc., etc., motion, law of motion, all of which are true and real, but... But we begin to have segregated thinking that everything can be compartmentalised into separate things. And that there is no real interconnection between all things. Right? Everything is segregated and separate and runs in its own law. Now, when Darwin comes along, Charles Darwin, and develops his theory of, of evolution which, you know, okay, some might argue he actually was proposing natural selection. Others would say, no, it's definitely proposing evolution, if you know the difference between the two. But regardless of that, you know, Charles Darwin is known as the father of evolutionary theory. And, um, of course, Darwin developed his theory of evolution. He, he was developing that in a world dominated by Newtonian physics, Right, what we've just talked about, that things work by cogs and it's like a clock and, and, and the laws are unchangeable. And so therefore, because of that, the same sort of mechanical thinking bleeds into biology. And we have a predictable clockwork process by which we now measure life. Now, it might sound that, you know, what Darwin was proposing was not that, but if you think about it, it was. We have a predictable clockwork process that brings us from whatever form we have here to this form. And because of these material things, it takes on this form. And because of these material challenges, it takes on this form. So it evolves from this to this through the process of material challenges. But it's actually embracing the same uh, the same root scientific thinking. So, so it seems then that in biology we have this predictable clockwork process um, uh, by which we now measure life. But here's the problem with, with, with Darwin's thinking out of Newtonian physics is that evolution is cruel. If evolution is true in the way we are taught to believe it, it's cruel. Only the strong survive. That's not something to be happy about and joyful and bouncing around. Oh, it's amazing. Think about it. evolution is just amazing. No, evolution sucks. If it is driven only by the forces that, that, 
that um, Charles Darwin said, which were driven by the clockwork idea of Newton. And so we finish up actually now with a, with a cruel world where only the strong survive, where the rule is devour or be devoured. You know, let's, let's, let's work out the weaknesses. Let's get rid of the weaknesses. But then we look at somebody like Hitler in his, in his philosophy and doctrine of cleansing, ethnic cleansing. And what's the difference between ethnic cleansing and Darwinian evolution? See, there's not really any difference. It's all about cleansing the race, cleansing, cleansing the creature. So what I'm trying to give you is a background as to why we have to make a drift to understand at least something about quantum theory. So, so the other thing about, about um, Darwinism is that, is that you're on your own in the race for survival. It's all about you surviving. It's not about the other creature. It's not about the other creatures. It's about you surviving. So there is a selfishness and the materialism that is in Darwinianism and Newtonianism. Do you understand what I'm saying? A selfishness and a materialism. So what we don't realise is that these things shape our worldview. And then we can excuse our worldview because our worldview is actually being supported by the very principles that undergird it. So the materialistic view of Newtonian science... And the, and the individual selfish view of Darwinian evolution have drifted through. And we would never mention Darwin and we wouldn't mention Newton. But we look around and what we see is selfishness. And we see materialism. All that matters is stuff. And the strong survive. Now, you know, having spent so much time in America, that's probably probably the worst culture on the face of the planet for these principles being pushed. Aggression, aggression is applauded. Get ahead, aggressively get ahead. You've got to aggressively get ahead. Trample on the weak. The weak will ruin society. You've got to have more and bigger. So elements of that have drifted through in our society. Now, it manifests in a slightly different way, for example, in places like India with the, with the caste culture. Um, but it's, it's the same kind of thing that's, that's drawing from this, this process. So, so, all of this tends to a purely materialistic view of the world, that things are segregated and separated into precise laws, and that you're on your own in the race for survival and only the strong survive. So in a way then, one could argue that greed and aggression were the legacy of this worldview. Um, another word for this that, that I find helpful is the empirical model because it goes within this and beyond this. Now, empirical model simply means models that replicate the principles of empire. Um, the strong rise to the top, the strong dominate, and uh, then everything that he's done is a reflection of trying to please the empire 
so that the empire will be pleased with you. And if, if the empire is pleased with you, you will be embraced by the empire. If the empire is not pleased with you, you will be rejected by the empire, persecuted and probably killed. Uh, which sounds like most fundamental evangelical Christianity. An empirical model that differs very little in, in, in most forms from, from Newton's idea of, of materialism and Darwin's idea of the selfish and the cruel, only the strong survive. Because if you think about it, only those who pray this prayer in this way and repent by this form go to heaven. That's, that's a Christian Darwinism. Only the strong survive. If you pray the right words, say the right things, read the right amount of scripture, you know, sacrifice enough, you'll go to heaven. Now, I, I get it, but, but do you see that that appeals to a part of the mind that has been shaped by empirical thinking? Please the emperor, and the emperor will be pleased with you. Displease the emperor, and the emperor will put you to death. Please God, and he will be pleased with you. Displease God, and he'll put you to death. You see, see how the things are parallel? So we have to ask the question and say, how much of this has influenced our perception of, of, of the spiritual journey of humanity and has distorted even Christianity to the point where these are the principles that now drive it? So even things like, for example, the term, that's a great church, usually means that's a big church. Because the success is measured by the strength. Now, now it doesn't take into account how many small churches the big church swallowed in order to be the big church, which then you are on Darwinism, okay? We're stronger than you, we'll eat you. So, so I, again, I mean, you know, I'm allowed just a brief moment's angst. I, I have in my lifetime had so many letters from churches bigger than ourselves, good churches, churches doing a good job, don't get me wrong, this is not a, they shouldn't exist, they're not, they're doing a great job for who they are, but there are some things I have to say, I have never yet had one of those who've sent a letter around smaller churches to say, we're a big church, we have got resources, can we give you something? I've only ever had the letter that says, we would like to bless you, we would like to be a blessing to you. So if you send $100 a month, we'll give you 20% off our conference fees. And 15% off in the book room. And whatever, whatever. Yeah, and you can be part of our network. So it's never the big giving to the small. It's somehow the big without realising it. Always taking from the small so that the big can become bigger and the small stays small. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now this, this can't be how we see the kingdom and it can't be how we see our own lives. And so, you know, to some degree it works against us because if there is no ascendancy structure, um, then our empirical thinking detaches us. 
And we don't have an ascendancy structure in here. So there's not positional things that, you know, if you're a good boy or girl, you'll get promoted to this and that. And then you become Anson and Chris's best buddy, you know, at the top of the tree. And then we don't talk to the ones down the tree. And believe me, that happens a lot in, in church life. We don't have that. But, but our minds are so driven by the empirical model that we find it difficult to... to, to, to um, to embrace value outside of those things because we're still working by the clockwork model and the, the devouring model and that's what we have to get free from and I'll, I'll hopefully be able to tell you for why as we go along. Now also in our English speaking world we have statements that are huge giveaways that we're programmed for materialism and unaware of the effect of invisible forms on the invisible forms on the visible world. And at the root of court, this is the essence of, of quantum theory, what the invisible, the effect the invisible has on the visible, and where we where we put our measure of importance. So so even in our language, you know, there is a, there is a giveaway. For example, um, if I say to you, it doesn't matter. What do I mean? It's unimportant. Now, do you realize what that says is that anything that is not matter is not important? Do you get that now? Anything that is not matter is not important. So we push ourselves away from spiritual development and a perspective that allows us to attach with the unseen because even our very language gives away our position because when we say it doesn't matter, we mean it's unimportant. And so we're so attached to the idea of matter. It doesn't matter. It means it's not physical. It's not touchable. I can't get hold of it and grasp it. It doesn't matter. Therefore, it's unimportant. But you see, quantum theory tells us that everything's important that everything has a place. This is another one in our language. So, so um, if I say, this is empty, what do I mean? You say, well, it means there's nothing there. There's no thing there because you said it's empty. But you see, just because the thing is empty doesn't mean there is no thing in the thing that we think is empty. So even our language, we, we, we place no importance then on the things that we should be placing importance on. And our language is a big giveaway. You know, it's interesting that in, in the whole quantum theory thing, again, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but when you start to break down subatomic level and you, you get down to your electrons and, and the question was asked, if you were to take all those electrons and you were to put them together how much space would it take up and the actual truth that the best that that physicists can tell us is that you could probably fill Wembley Stadium so the question is what about all the space that's not Wembley Stadium see we we have a certain view of emptiness that emptiness equals nothingness 
and that nothing is happening other than the bit that we can actually figure out. But you see, the true essence of developing spirituality is that there's more happening in the bit that you can't see than there is in the bit that you can. That, that there's no such a thing as emptiness, but there is space. But you see, we put two things together and say that's empty space, when actually space isn't empty. It's only empty if you view it through Newtonian and Darwinistic thinking, but it's not empty. So, so the universe and space and time is bigger than we were ever allowed to think. Now, that's also why our preference in the gospel is a physical Jesus over a transcendent Christ. Because the physical Jesus is matter, therefore it matters. It matters about Jesus, and it does matter about Jesus. But there are things beyond the matter, okay? That there is, there is as we've talked together about, the Christ who, who, who followed them, who was the rock in the wilderness, and all of these different manifestations. But it's interesting that our, it seems that we often... Focus, and I guess this is a weakness in our willingness to embrace our true spiritual identity. We're always looking for something material, something that is matter to get a hold on. And, and Chris and I have this conversation, which is unresolved, because we completely disagree on some things. Um, anthropomorphic is... is how you view God in a human perspective. So, for example, we call God him, he, we even call God, God. Um, and talk about him, you know, being and on a throne or wherever. That, that's called anthropomorphic. We, we bring him into a, we bring him in, it, yeah. We personalize to a human concept because we feel much more comfortable if we have matter, because matter matters, and if it doesn't matter, then we don't get it. If it doesn't matter, it's not real. And we have to break that barrier down if we're going to come into the truth of a real spiritual journey to understand the divine, okay? Now, now I don't think, you know, I like a bit of anthropomorphism because that's the way I'm wired. It helps me focus, but, but if we become too attached to matter then we begin to see everything clockwork. So, so if God is matter, how God works is the clockwork model of Newton. So, so actually everything's already pre-assigned, fixed and moved and nothing's changing and the mystery is completely gone and then, of course, we have that empirical model that we, we just talked about. So, quantum science says things that are not separate but connected. And it also says that the world isn't necessary, necessarily uh, what it looks like or what it appears to be. In other words, if you only live in the context of matter, you will be misled. Because the world is more than it appears to be. And, um, you know, in, in the study of this, as, 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 
as, as we watch and study the flow of what we experience as matter, the real world, to subatomic particles, which we can't see, which make all of this up. You and I are subatomic particles, as is, you know, these benches, this floor, and we're all actually made of the same thing. When people say, you know, we're all made of the same stardust, the truth is, in essence, really, we are, but in, in different forms. But as we watch that, um, when, when we go to that subatomic particle level, matter is lost and we enter a world of mysterious goings-on. And yeah, some of the science around this is very confusing if you're not a physicist, but there's a lot of it when you bring it down to layman's terms, and believe me, these are mysterious goings-on. About energy waves that, that when they come up against something solid, they pass through the other side. So somehow it's not this side anymore, but it's that side, but it's just gone through a solid object, but you can't go through a solid object because it's solid. Because the nature of these things is weird and there's some mysterious stuff going on. Now, what we can do is say, oh, that's just too crazy, I, I'm just not interested. Or we can say, actually, that's fascinating. And maybe within that, there's something that might enhance my understanding of all things and maybe help me to break into dimensions that, that I never could and never have while holding those old models. Now, there's a guy called Lothar, Lothar Schaefer, German guy. He actually lectures at, at the University of Arkansas. Um, and he, he says something. He says, Lothar Schaefer says... Um, uh, where's my quote there? Oh, there. He says, the visible world is like the advertising commercials of the business world. Uh, in other words, don't believe everything that the visible world seems to be telling you. You know, I, Chris will tell you, I whinge, I, you know, I don't know if you whinge at the telly. I, I'm not a big whinger at the telly, but some things make me whinge at the telly. And one of them is, is um, perfume adverts. Like men's aftershave, like, you know, the images, if you just splash this on just one day, and, and every gorgeous girl in the world, when you walk out the door, will be falling at your feet. They'll be looking for you. Well, it doesn't work. And I can't for the life of me understand why the Advertising Standards Authority doesn't ban these adverts because it's dropping something in your mind that doesn't work. It's just not true. But, 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 but Schaefer says, but the physical world is like that. It's telling you stuff that's like the advertising on TV. It's trying to sell you something. It's trying to get you to believe something that's not the full truth. It's not the full reality. And so don't be fully taken in by it. So, so if all of your assessment of yourself and life and God and creation and the universe is driven by the material world, you're going to be conned. You have to get beyond that. So... So what is reality would be the question. And when you get into quantum theory, see, reality to us is, is this is real. You know, Sarah's real. 
All the stuff in here is real. My car's real. But, but you see, that's because we only p- tend to pay attention to that which matters. So the idea of matter being substance and then our language talking about what matters, those two things are linked together that we only make sense of things that are substance that we can physically see, physically control, physically experience. But, but, and, and I love Schaefer on this because he says, but, see, the thing is, if a thing can act on you, it's real. So, for example, my thoughts are real. I'm having thoughts now. They are real thoughts. But those thoughts have no material context for you to touch, feel, handle. But they are very, they are real thoughts. They're not seen. But the thing is, they have the potential to materialize in visible, measurable ways. But they are not visible and measurable while they are thoughts, but they're real. So that's just one little example to say that, that what is reality? Reality is not just matter. I like the description that reality is anything that can act on you. So within the context of our universe, within the context of, 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 of molecular biology and, and quantum physics, there are, there are things that we cannot see that are acting on our world. They're acting on us and they are very real. And when you understand how they work and that they're not bound by those clockwork laws, it actually gets very exciting. It's not the ticks of a clock. In fact, there is no clock if you go by this. So here's another little thought for you. What if the world isn't a creation of the one of God, but rather an emanation due to a necessary overflowing of the divine? So what if all this came into being as a natural overflow of the divine, It's like it just happened because there's something flowing out of the divine, the one of God, that just flows out. And because it flows out and it's real but not seen, then when something touches it, when it's interacted, when it's looked for, it becomes visible and real. So we now have a world that we see, we have creation that we experience, that we have a narrative that says, in the beginning God created... But actually, that, that, you know, you imagine all that this is and that one summarizing statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we all go running off and say, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like, well, when you think of the complexity of what that is and, and, and the, the, the reality within it, could it be that this one who is not one in the sense of material and matter, because if we make him material and matter, we've made him an emperor, and if we make him an emperor, he has an empire, and if he has an empire, you have everything that goes with empire, and then all the things we've talked about go. So although we have to use terminologies to try and understand what we mean by God, the truth is he goes beyond our terminologies. They are, they are just ways to try and 
explain to us certain attributes and elements to get our head. But actually, if we think he is just that that we described, you know, so the moment we have in Scripture, God sits on a throne. We now, forever and for always, have one view, that God eternally, forever and without disruption, sits on a throne. And the moment we read that Jesus is at his right hand, we think that from then and right from then till now and forevermore, so now we've already, God is a person, usually white, usually male, usually with a beard and deep voice, who now rules over all, sat on a physical throne that we only understand because we have that in the context of empire and earthly kings, and that Jesus is like the sidekick, and then Holy Spirit is the enforcer who, who goes out for these two men that sit on thrones and never move off their thrones, becomes the enforcer who goes through the world making people keep the rules. Do you understand what, what's happening here? Th these are models that they help us explain one Context. So if I want to understand, particularly in, in the first century world, the magnificence of God, and I want to tell you he sits on his throne, you're going to get the image straight away. That he's a, he's a ruler, he's a king. So, so, so he's bigger than Caesar, who's the biggest thing of the day in, in that world. I'm trying to convey a principle I'm not trying to describe the being. I'm trying to convey a principle. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we get stuck in the principle, and that's when then Newton and, and um, Darwin and all these are simply reinforcing in us those ideas when actually I, I could show you that Paul, in essence, also was trying to break us out of, of that kind of thinking. So, 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 you know, what if the world... Isn't creation as we think, I'm going to create this. But it just happened because out of this being and all this movement and potential, this thing just flows over. Almost like a surprise to the one who witnesses what it is that's flowed over. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's this bigger thing, it's this outflow, which, which in essence you know, hopefully will become our experience of spirituality. So what if, if, so if quantum theory is correct, then the whole cosmos oozes one thing in particular. And this would be quite common to, to the field of, um, of um, quantum science. What it all oozes with is just one thing in particular. And the word that they use is potentiality. So they say what we have discovered is that this thing is not clockwork and mechanical and fixed. But what it has within it, it oozes potentiality. So potential pervades this whole thing. Now, um, I would use another word in there with that possibility. And from what we said about creation, you could use the word overflow. So, so this thing, if quantum theory is correct, it, it, this one thing is at the core of it, its potential. So, so what that means is nothing is 
Nothing is fixed, but everything is possible. What it means is it might not matter right now, but it could. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? It might not matter right now, but it could. So if we take matter away from concern and put matter into things that come into being, it might not matter now, but it could. That's what quantum theory is screaming at us. Now, I could argue that when you redeem great portions of Scripture from the dominance of the thinking we've talked about, the empirical thinking and the selfish thinking and the tribal thinking um, and the mechanical thinking and the materialistic thinking, you actually find that, that Scripture's been singing this song all along, but we just couldn't see it outside of the model. So the stuff that we're now saying, people will say, oh, well, that's not real. It is more real than the stuff that you think matters, because it's not the matter that matters. So, potential. How then should we live? Well, let's talk about religion for a minute. Nobody's been more um, critical of religion than me, okay? <laughs> Except for you. You know, and some of us were raised with phrases like, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You know, good sales pitch. But actually, religion is very important. And let me explain why. See, see, the problem with religion is not religion per se. Because the word religion comes from the word religio. So when we go into the, go into the Latin and, uh, you know, break down to the Greek, it comes from the word religio. And, and that word means to re-ligament. To re-ligament. Now, you know, those medical persons among us, like Jan, will know that ligaments are very, very important. And, um, you know, in layman's terms, again, not as a medical person, ligament is needed to make the joint between two things work correctly. When the ligament's gone, you now have bone on bone. And uh, a lot of pain, a lot of wear and tear, because ligament is important. A ligament is a fibrous connective tissue which attaches bone to bone and usually serves to hold structures together and keep them stable. Now, the ligament is not the life. It's just a connector in the skeletal structure which facilitates the actualization and movement of life. So the ligament is not the life. There's the problem. We've tried to make religion the life. Religion was never meant to be the life or the source of life. Religion was just meant to be how we perceive things so that there would be something between the bones of the skeleton of life that stopped them grinding one against the other and allowed them to, to work correctly because there are things in life that need to work correctly. And, and I would say... Being, being magnanimous of thought, hopefully, that within the context of all religion across the world through all times, 
where that has not been institutionalised has been elements that are sought to be the bit between the bones of life in the skeleton of the movement of life that made the whole thing work, was trying to make it work. So religion might not be such a bad thing after all. The problem occurs when there's a distortion of a truth and or the institutionalisation of that said truth or belief and that's, that's where we then have the problem with religions no longer trying to be the interface between the skeleton of the movement of life but now trying to be the institution that dictates life. So let's, let's get back to the subject of potential. So, so really I said all that to, to bring you to the point that that quantum theory has at its root this one thing, that, that, that the subatomic particle world is full of potential. You know, we could get into the fascinating elements, which I'd, I'd rather show you videos on this because there are people explain it better than me, where there are things in that subatomic world that are only visible while you're looking for them. It's like, you know, how do you get your head around that? that within each electron there is potential for many things to be seen, but you only see the thing you're looking for. And it, like, it pops up and you see it, and then it disappears. Well, it's like, well, was that real? Yeah, it was real, but it's connected to principles far different than Newton understood or than Darwin understood, but drift now more into the realm of spirituality and mysticism than they do into the realm of what we thought was the clockwork mechanics of science. And, you know, if they let it go that way, the truth is that, that um, science will become more attuned to the mystics, probably, than the mathematicians. So, so at the core of all this is possibility, which means, which means this, this is the exciting bit about it, which I think ties with Scripture. It's the, it's the immeasurable possibilities that exist within creation. Now, of course, a possibility is only a possibility. A potential is only a potential. But if there is a potential, if there is a possibility, the, the truth about a possibility and a potential is that any possibility and any potential can be realised. And when it, it is realised, it materialises. And then we get more to where we are able to grasp it a little more because now it's become something material that we, we can grasp and understand. Now, uh, let me give you a little Bible that I find interesting in the context of this. Matthew 19.26, not the only place this is recorded. But it says, with God all things are possible. That's quantum theory. With God, with the divine, with the source, with the creator, with the one, all things are possible. Now, what I find interesting is that they could have written there, with God all things are inevitable. Because if you were to fully analyse the thinking of the church, you would have a sense that there is inevitability about all things. It's inevitable if you don't pray this prayer that you will go to hell. It's inevitable if you pray this prayer, you will go to heaven. It's inevitable if you do this, that will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. There's an inevitability, but actually, Jesus never talked about inevitable consequences. He talked about possibilities. 
With God, all things are possible, which means that for every one of us, we qualify because we're made of the same molecular structures. We're part of the same system that says possibility invades us, is around us, is within us, is part of us. And one, one more scripture on that, Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, this is Jesus, and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Or, in other words, Jesus was recognising the existence of possibility. So, I like this because, I mean, some have been through tremendous difficulties in particular areas. You think of Jenny, Jenny wrestling with her sister, losing two husbands to cancer. Think of Claire and her brother. And, you know, various things that, that all of us have, have looked at and faced. And, um, you know, there has been an element in church teaching that has, has brought a lot of guilt and condemnation into that. Of If you just had enough faith, if you just believed enough, if you just prayed hard enough, you know, um, is that, did that person die because they've got some hidden sin and all that kind of stuff that we had? Because, because what, we, what we had put with it is that, is that there is an inevitability. If you confess the right things, if you pray the right things, if you live the right life... If, 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 if you, if you honour the right way, then everything is inevitable. But you see, that's never promised at all in Scripture. What is said is everything is possible. So, so the problem with possible is sometimes things work out how you would have liked them to work out and some things that sometimes they don't. But within that, there are reasons that we cannot explain because the world is far more complex. But I take hope in this. Whatever may have happened up to now, I still live in a universe that, that, that is saturated with potential and possibility. So it does not change my approach to the next challenge, to the existing challenge, to what I face. And, you know, Chris, Chris knows I, I, I find some of the... Uh, conclusions of people like Richard Raw, who I, I love very dearly, I think he's tremendous. But I think, I think they have a doctrine of excuses when it comes to suffering. When I would be far more comfortable with the doctrine of possibility that is not inevitability. See, that, that what we were taught about faith was if you do this, inevitably you will get this. I, I want us to live in the space that says actually... Everything within us around us is full of potential, so it could anything could happen and might happen, but it's not based on actually your efforts or your endeavours or whatever. However, within that process, there are things that I think we can do that, that places it in, in a situation where maybe the possible might maximise its chances of becoming material. So I'll base that on this. How do you maximise the chance of a seed making it? Because every seed contains just one thing. It doesn't contain an apple tree. It doesn't contain a pear tree. It's just a seed. You know, it doesn't have an oak tree. It's not a strawberry plant. Every seed contains one thing and one thing alone, and that is potential. Just like the subatomic world that we live in. And so what we have learned is that if you want to maximise the possibility of that seed becoming more than a seed, 
then there is the issue of planting. There is the issue of, of maximising the possibility for that seed making it, and, and some of them do, which is wonderful. There's also another illustration we, we've used, but I haven't used it in a long time, which is the one about um, you know, the pre-embryonic cell state of, of a, a, a fetus and how, as the cells divide, all the cells are equal and are exactly the same. And, and in the pre-embryonic state, as the, as the fetus begins to form, wherever the cell places itself determines what it becomes. So if a cell places itself where the liver should be, it becomes a liver. If, if the same cell places itself where the heart should be, it becomes a heart. If it places itself where the eye should be, it becomes an eye. So it's all the same thing, but where it places itself determines what it becomes. Now, I have to say there has to be a lesson there somewhere in, in how we are with our lives and where we place ourselves in our thinking and in our hopes and in our expectations. And, and perhaps there is some truth in that we actually become where we place ourselves. So there's another principle just as we, we kind of bring this through to its conclusion that I want to tie with this and it's, it's about the speed at which these things happen. Because this whole quantum theory arena messes with everything. I mean it just, you know, all bets are off. It messes with everything. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you make a cell, I mean, let's talk about these things called quarks. How do you make a quark that is related to another quark, but one quark is in Los Angeles and the other one is in New York City and they spin, quarks spin. And you can tell the quarks that are connected because if there is a quark in Los Angeles that's spinning clockwise, and you don't ask me how we do this, you know, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but... But they, they have proved this in, in theory and as much as possible with the, the science they have in, in action. But if you then were to change that quark in Los Angeles to spin counterclockwise, the connected quark in New York City would immediately begin to spin counterclockwise. And you say, well, there's no physical connection between them. There's no matter between them. But there is a connection that is not physical matter that is working to cooperate. So everything working together, connection is a major thing that we have understood in the issue of, of, of quantum physics. And not just connection as in, you know, your, your knee bone's connected to your thigh bone, your thigh bone's connected to your hip bone, but connection um, as, as in something much more complex, something much more expansive, something much much deeper in that connective process that, that links everything together. So, so speed at which things happen, just, just a couple of minutes on this. I, I think there are three basic speeds, if I were to break it down. Human, that's physical material matter speed, you know, the speed it takes me to walk from here to there, human speed. And then there's the speed of light. How fast, if I initiated a light source here, how fast would it take the light source to travel 
to the end of that pew. Well, he would travel at 186,000 miles a second, so he'd get there a little before me. But then I think there is a, a third category, which, which I call the speed of spirit. Um, and you'll see why this is important in a moment. The speed of spirit is fa faster than the speed of light, definitely faster than the speed of human. And um, I think, you know, many, many years ago, the prophet Isaiah had, had a little insight on this because he said in Isaiah 65, verse 24, before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. Now, I actually do think Isaiah was, was latching on to something here that was not what we in the church world turn to preordination. Or in other words, you know, God preordains something so that you're only praying for what God has already said will happen. That's called preordination. I don't think Isaiah meant that at all. I think, I think that what he meant was that before they call is predictive, not preordained. In other words, you begin to see things before they actually materialise, before they become matter they have become real. That's the only way I can explain the out-of-body experiences that I've had. When, you know, when I'm, in, when I'm in a hotel room in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, but I'm stood in Scarcroft Road on a very clear junction that I know exactly where I am, can describe exactly what I'm seeing and know what's going on while I'm still in the hotel room in, in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Something happening that is predictive, it's before, it's, it's when you know something that you shouldn't really know because you're knowing something that's not become matter yet, but you're knowing it. I, I believe these are the potentials that for all of us, we, we can latch onto and be aware of. I mean, Chris and I have become more and more sensitive to this, I think probably even over the last year, of stuff that... I can only call it predictive because you know it before it happens and then it happens after you knew it was going to happen. But it wasn't like a natural knowledge of we just figured out by Newtonian clockwork that this is the natural process. It's like what you wouldn't know unless you knew it because you saw it, but it hasn't happened yet. Do you know what I mean? Now, we have words in, in the church like prophecy and word of knowledge and all those kind of stuff. But really, it's that kind of essence that, that is being driven here in the predictive thing. So, so my point with that being that if we are part of that whole process, then potential and possibility oozes through every fibre of our being. And if things happen at these speeds, then they can be received at these speeds within our being. But how often are we positioned to look for that happening or expect that happening or even trust ourselves enough for that to be happening so that actually we live a life that is much more predictive, which means that then our response becomes very different because it's more predictive. We are, we're working from an insight and knowledge that is not from the visible world of matter, but it's from the, from the spiritual world, from the unseen world. And also then that within that, we realise that that potential can be released as we, as we move in that arena to change 
what is happening. So, so let me let me say these things to bring us to the finish. According to Jesus, this is easy. Now, according to us, we think that sounds really hard, but the question is what how do we interpret when Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you? That's connectedness, right? The yoke was what connected you. Take my yoke upon you. Stop, stop being materialistic and stop being individualistic and take my yoke upon you. Begin to look for your expression to be one of the connectedness that you have with understanding this flow of the divine. Understanding you have a connection to the divine. Now what we've done, we religiousized that. And we made connection to Jesus a material thing. So it became living right or praying right or, you know, spending time with the Lord, whatever terminologies we wanted to use because we, were, we could only understand connecting matter to matter. Jesus as matter, we as matter, connected to him. But, but this is a connectedness on another level that really he's saying, connect with the true essence of who I am and what I am and where I'm from and being the outflow because he said, if you take my yoke upon you, connectedness, which is what quantum theory is all about, and learn from me, in other words, you know, there is a, there is a, um, a downloading, an outflow coming through and in. He said, and you will find rest for your souls. Not rest for your body, you might struggle for that. There's work to be done. But rest for your soul, what a, what a wonderful thing to have rest for your soul, that, that inner place. said it comes from the connectedness. Now, now, if you take away all our Christian understanding and you step into other arenas, you will find this is exactly the message that's being said. If you will be connected, right, they might use terms, the divine, the source, whatever. If you will come into connectedness, then you will learn from that connectedness and you will find rest for your soul. So I'm not going to be critical of that concept because that concept is actually the very concept that we're being given here. And it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why I said this is supposed to be natural and easy, but if you don't break the Newtonian-Darwinian model of thinking, it's not easy. So, yoke to Christ who's universally transcendent rather than Jesus who's physically present. At the core of all this is a realisation of connectedness. Okay, so, a guy called, called uh, uh, Niels Bohr said of quantum theory, if you're not astonished by it, you haven't understood it. I think when Paul goes harping on about mystery, you know, in Colossians and Ephesians and a little bit in Galatians. I, I, think, I think Paul is trying to get that same message through to us that if you're not astonished by it, you haven't understood it. And the truth is, our astonishment often has been lost. You know, we, I, I could argue that the astonishment I was sold was the astonishment that God would even love me. The astonishment that Jesus would die for me in my place, which is wonderful and it's true, but, but that was the astonishment I had. So therefore you were always locked into the only astonishment you have is, how could God love me, the unlovable, the unworthy? 
you know, the one bound in the lie of the one thing. If you've committed one sin, if you've done one thing wrong, you're separated. The lie of separation, you see. And that's why at the core of, of the distortion of the gospel is the lie of separation. Because, because the truth of, of the cosmos is connection, connectedness. So we get sold this, this religious distortion of separation and then you can never fully embrace the fullness of all that this is. So you have to have a heaven, you have to have a hell, you have to have material consequences and material reward and do material things to get material experiences because it's all been based on the lie of separation. If you committed one sin, you're separated. When actually, what's really silly is Paul harps on about this, no thing will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. No thing. Life, death, heaven and hell, no thing will separate you. It's a lie. And then he goes on to tell us that all things are yours. Life, death, every teacher, whatever, all these things belong to you, which is the connectedness that says all the potential resides within you. And Paul finishes that by saying, I can do all things, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Understanding that connectedness. So, so this uh, Niles Boer said, if you're not astonished by it, you haven't understood it. And I would say, yeah, that's true. If you're not astonished by all this, you haven't understood it. Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. And Einstein was not at all happy about quantum science. Um, of course, he was locked into his theory of relativity, which again is amazing understanding of, of, of time and space and light. And, um, but of course, for, for Einstein, he also had to lay down some of his hard-worked theory conclusions if he was going to embrace quantum theory because Knight was saying, okay, you, you've taken it a step further than Newton but actually you haven't even begun to understand the complexity. So, so he, called it, he called it spooky action at a distance. And so I would say the kind of spirituality we're looking for is spooky action at a distance. But we should call it life. Because actually what we've been describing is not some science. What we've been describing is life and what really we are discovering is the true essence of life and the connection of life and the connectivity of all things and the potential that is in all of us and the possibilities that ooze out of us that if we understand that and we can live at the speed of spirit, we live a predictive life in this arena of this flow and I believe that's who we were meant to be and what we're supposed to be and that that is what the kingdom coming is actually really all about when Jesus said that. So, I know Chris, I think Chris read this the other week, but I just love it, so I thought I'd read it anyway. This blessing for the heart journey. I think this is a great prayer. So let's finish with this. Today, fellow fallers, recoverers, rescuers, winners, losers, famous and infamous, I bless you. The runners and the lame, the bankrupt and the billionaires, the saints and the sinners, lost and lonely, I bless you. I bless you with knowing that the journey of a thousand steps will be paved by potholes, sinkholes, arseholes, 
and whatever it takes to make you whole because you are human. I bless you today with knowing that the invitation to face the world with an unveiled face may be done at your pace or never at all because it's an invitation. But know this, that by love and choice, Trinity's unmasked face shines upon you and is gracious to you. And Trinity lifts up their faces towards you and offers you peace because you belong. And we belong tonight. And this is what we belong to. And this is the essence of the one who made all things or out of whom all things flow or out of whom all things just overflowed because he didn't even have to decide to do it because it just went woof. And out of us, how that overflow can begin to work if we'll just learn to place ourselves in that position of connectedness with the whole thing. So I hope that's helped you out, but it's not been too technical or boring and that it actually gives us some hope and insight to move on from here all right so bless you thanks for being here we love you and we'll see you on sunday thanks for listening to another q york podcast if you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.